0: Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs is, oh man, there we go. Right after Psalms, right before Ecclesiastes, I think. Um, it's part of these uh, three books in the Bible that's, that's called the wisdom literature of Scripture. And there's a reason for that. and It's because they contain words, they contain uh, instruction. Proverbs specifically, if, if you've ever read through the book, it, it contains a bunch of what we might call wise sayings. And they all seem kind of rapid fire. Once we get to the middle of the book, we, we get all these rapid fire wise sayings. And um, the difference between Proverbs and say something like uh, a fortune cookie is that these are not just words for us to ponder and to reflect on, to consider, and then quickly forget as we just kind of go on our merry way and don't give it much thought because really we were just, you know, we, we were just there for, the, for the, the food that came before the fortune cookie, you know. Um, but these are actually words that are inspired by God. These are words for our good um, in that they give us practical ways to see life, to live our lives. And what they really are is ways for us to receive God's grace in terms of just the day-to-day way that we approach life and we think through the decisions that, that we make. So um, especially on a, on a day like December 31st, it's really really a good thing, an important thing for us to consider our lives Consider some of the things that we would like to see change in our lives um, as we hit January 1, 2024. But then see what God's desire for our lives are in terms of what change and what um, improvement in things of that nature look like, right? Because, you know, it, it's okay to have New Year's resolutions. I don't know, those things have taken a bad hit in the last 10 years. Um, but we almost kind of default to New Year's resolutions, right? I mean, there's, there's nobody here that would just say, you know what, 2023 was aces. I don't need to make any changes. Like, I'm, I got this thing. Like, guys, I got life, God, got life, I'm good. I mean, that's just nobody. Like, there's things we all would like to say, well, this could be better. I would like to see this improve. I would like some growth in this area. And, and Proverbs really help us with that. Ray Ortland, he's, uh, he's a pastor, he's a Bible teacher, he's in Nashville, written some great books. But this is how he describes the book of Proverbs. He's, he describes it as practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the defeated, his warning to the proud. His mercy for the broken. He goes on to say, the book of Proverbs is the gospel. It's good news for the inept through the wisdom of another, meaning God. And we have every reason to receive it with a a whole heart. Um, He likes to describe it like this. He said, Proverbs is wisdom that works. So there's a a component of it that we, we receive and we reflect and we meditate on, but it's also practical for us. It also gives us something to do. Um, in terms of how we live out our lives. So when we talk about wisdom and we talk about approaching the new year, not just like with like chickens with our heads cut off, saying, hey, I want to do better with my diet. I want to do better with my reading. I want to do better with relationships. I want to do better with this. Again, all good things, but it's almost like what Proverbs is teaching us to do is to step back first and go, hold on. What, what's the reason for me doing these things? What's the motivation behind me doing these things? And so Proverbs doesn't only just give us sort of practical steps for how to live our lives as before the Lord, for the, his glory and for the good of each other and ourselves, but it also kind of gets into the heart of like why we would do what we do. Why, what is the motivation behind what we do what we do? And that's what Proverbs really helps us with. It really teaches us that. This is how we would define wisdom, though. So when we talk about wisdom, we've got to understand what we're saying, right? This is wisdom defined. The skill to survive and thrive by living in accordance with the order that God has established in his world. Let me read it again because I'm not sure I just picked that up either. The skill to survive and thrive by living in accordance with the order that God established. Has established in his world. Now, what we want to understand before we just kind of kick off, we're only gonna read a couple of verses today and a couple of verses next week. So this is certainly, this is not some comprehensive overview of the book of Proverbs. Um, but we wanna understand something about what Proverbs are or are not, right? Because we can we can kind of look at these things a little too simplistically. These are not just sort of principles for us that if we do this, then this is the obvious outcome, right? They're not, they're not what we would say principles that we wanna turn into legalistic sort of how-tos. They're not legalistic principles. They're not fortune cookies. Um, they're not just wise sayings written by a bunch of gurus who meditate on high mountains, right? Primarily, these were wise sayings written by King Solomon who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to deliver these good works primarily to his son who was reading these and learning from the wisdom of Solomon who was given a particular level of wisdom that none of us have ever been given, but it was inspired by God. It was given, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit given to him by God for our good, right? So Proverbs, they're God's inspired word, right? And they should be received as God's grace to us in Christ, right? So these are not magical formulas. And it's important for us to say that because what we're gonna be doing is when you read a proverb, you you read the instruction, and then typically it gives you an incentive. So it says, do this, and then if you do this, this will be the outcome. And and we need to learn how to respond to that correctly. Um, And and here's an example of that, okay? Here's an example of how how this might play out for us in our real lives. So a couple of weeks ago, We were pulling up to our house, you know, open up the garage door, uh, not manually. We got one of those electric gizmos that opens it up for us. It's, you know, the modern world here. And uh, we pull into the driveway, we pull into the garage, we go into the house and the whole backside of our house, like the electricity is just like it's out. So nothing's working, no lights, uh, most importantly, no heat. Um, all, the, all, the, all the things that we were looking forward to, given that our family was going to be arriving like in two hours, right? Um, now here's the thing, right? So um, in case you're wondering, and you should be wondering this, um, like I paid the electric bill, like in December, right? All covered, right? So the best way to ensure that you have electricity, like just functioning in your house is to pay the electric bill. And believe it or not, I, I, I pulled it off in December. Paid the electric bill. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that there was some wiring things that happened. Let me not make a fool of myself right now. That's all I know when I called in my guy and he had to like get under the house and he had to do all this work and he had to like get the electricity back. Now, just because I pay my electric bill doesn't ensure that the electricity is always going to work, why? Well, because there's more to it than just paying the bill, right? Paying the bill is the the best way to ensure that it functions, but because things break, because things break, it means that even just merely by paying the bill, it doesn't mean that forever, without hesitation, Um, Without consequence, I'm always going to have perfectly running um, electricity in my house. And that's kind of like the Proverbs. You know, it gives us ways to live as unto the Lord where we receive this wisdom. And we do these things that scripture commands us to do. And that is good for us to obey. But we're also broken people. We also live in a fallen world and that's what makes the Proverbs not so formulaic, but it makes them more of the grace that has been given to us in which we can live out our lives, understanding that things happen even in the midst of, of doing everything that we are told to do, which by the way, we do not uh, do perfectly. Right. Um, Most importantly, what we're going to see is that wisdom connects us directly to Jesus Wisdom connects us directly to Jesus. In fact, the New Testament tells us um, that Jesus was somebody who grew in wisdom, right? As he, as he walked the earth and as he got closer to starting his earthly ministry. We understand that Jesus spoke words of wisdom, right? We also know that Jesus, in the most profound way, Jesus is, since he is the word made flesh, we also understand Jesus to be the wisdom of God, So when we think about wisdom, we want to connect it to Jesus. We want to connect it with a life lived that is reflective of the very life of Jesus. And that, that helps us make a little more sense of it. That helps keep it out of the abstract for us. And it says, Hey, when I'm living out these principles that are given to me in the book of Proverbs, I'm literally just living like Jesus. And living lives that apply the wisdom of God to our life means that we are going to reflect something. It means that we are going to look like something. It means we will be illuminated to what is good, to what is true, to what is best. So we don't have to live like people walking, you know, through a dark room looking for a light switch, tripping over everything along the way. We don't have to live like that, although sometimes life can, can be that way, right? Jesus has turned on the light, and he's given us words to live by. And so that just gives you just sort of an overview very briefly about what it, what it looks like to read some of the Proverbs and how we are to receive these words as grace in our life. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at how wisdom applies to one particular key area as we enter the new year. And today um, it's going to be wealth. I'm calling it wisdom in plenty. The, the finances God gives us, the blessings that God gives us. We want to look at what the Proverbs has to say about what our response should be Um, to the things and to the money that God has given us. So chapter three in Proverbs verses nine and 10, this is what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So those are the two verses from God's word that we're gonna be looking at today. Let me just read it again since it was so short and I don't even know where to begin when I only have two verses of reading. Let me just read it again, pretend like we have four. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So you see what he does there. He gives us this instruction about what we should do with our wealth, with our finances, with our money. And then he gives us this incentive If you do this, then this will be the outcome. And again, we're going to unpack what he means by that because we don't want to read it as some like rigid formula, right? Because that turns me into, you know, a televangelist telling you that if you just give, everything's going to be in plenty for the rest of your year. Y'all are going to be rich. You probably all are going to have everything you ever desired, everything you ever dreamed of. Well, that would be great, except that contradicts like every other verse in scripture, right? Right. So we don't want to read things like in a way that scripture actually isn't communicating to us. And we'll get into that so that we, so that we understand that a little bit more clearly. So first off, this is what Solomon is telling us. When we honor God with, from our wealth, it is number one, it's an act of worship. That's what we get when we read this, these initial verses uh, 9 and 10. Now, the people of Israel gave what's called their first fruits to the Lord. It means... They gave the Lord the best of their crops. They gave the Lord the best of their flocks. The Lord was their king. He was their king who provided them with all of their needs. And not only that, but he delivered them from the hand of their enemies. And so when we go back to Exodus 23, 19, we're told this. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So this was a command. This was an instruction that the Israelites were to give God God their first, and they were to give God their best. They honored the Lord by not giving him their leftovers. And here's, here's what we want to understand about the word honor here, is that it means this. It means to treat the Lord as, as weighty. It means to treat the Lord as weighty. So if you even just visualize it in your own life, like if you ever invite somebody over to your house, you say, hey, come over to my house you know, for dinner. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna cook up a meal um, we're going to have a great time of just hanging out and fellowship and relaxation and catching up. Um, typically, I, maybe some of you all do this, but typically what you wouldn't do when that person comes over is, is just sort of, you know, slap some leftovers on the table and say, we had this three nights ago. Hope it works. Hope it's good. I think it's still good. I mean, I, did you put the, the saran wrap over it? I think it was covered, right? I, you know what? Just give it a try. Taste it. You know, we wouldn't do that to somebody, right? We, that wouldn't be honoring them to give them our leftovers. We'd want to we'd cook a meal for them. We want to honor them by saying, hey, I spent some time. I prepared something for you. I set the table. And um, because I, I, I honor you, I don't take your presence lightly. I value your presence. I value who you are as a person. So we give in the same way we give to the Lord before all else because he is deserving of our honor. He is deserving of our worship. And that's why, that's why giving is an act of, of worship. That's why, it's, um, that's why it's part of our worship service. You know, uh, Mike Chan just talked about that. He said, well, we don't pass a plate, but we want you to think about what it means uh, to be somebody who gives to the ministry of Substance Church. We, we want you to understand what that means, why it's valuable, why it's, why it's important, why it's a part of, of our worship service, right? Um, and that's why even when we, we start talking about, you know, how much to give, which is, which is a topic we don't, we don't really bring up that much here at the church, but when we even start talking about how much to give, and a lot of us talk about that, we start losing the plot a little bit, right? Um, because giving to the Lord first and from our best, it, it actually, it's, it's a movement from, from the heart, Right? We, we, can never, we are never going to, in a sense, give enough to God. So maybe you've grown up in a church and, and the, the standard practice was, well, you give 10% of your income. Well, we don't even tell you to give 10% of your income because some of you need to give 10%. Some of you need to give 20%. So I'm, I'm not here to regulate that. I'm not here to manage that percentage in your life. What I'm here to do as your pastor is say, hey, what's the Lord doing in your heart? How is the Lord prompting you and growing you in generosity? How is the Lord moving in you as you reflect on who he is and what he's given to you and the gifts that he supplied you with? What will you relinquish? What will you let go back to him? I'm not here to manage percentages. I'm here just to say, hey, let's look at Jesus. Me too. Let's look at what Jesus has done to us and let's give back to him as an act of worship. You know, the, the story about the widow's offering, remember, let's, let's just turn there if you want to make a hard right to Luke 21. Um, it's such an interesting passage. And Jesus basically was, was saying something revolutionary here when uh, uh, Luke 21, and we're looking at um, verses 1 through 4, And it said, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts from the offer into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said this, he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So, so he was saying what he, was, what he meant by saying she's, she's giving out of her poverty, he meant to say this was all she had. So in that sense, she was giving from her abundance as well. She just didn't have an abundance in the way that we think of abundance. But she was giving the first and the best of what she had to offer God. And what did he say? She gave more. Was it literally more? Like, did, was Jesus not a mathematician? Did he not see what the Pharisees and the other religious leaders were putting in? It was like far above and beyond what this woman was putting in. Of course not. But she was putting in more because the motivations of her heart were to give God her first and her best. And that's the difference, right? So that's the thing here that the that, that, that Proverbs are trying to get to us when it says in verse nine, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Or even a better rendering of that is not with your wealth, but from, from your wealth. Okay, so we know that giving to the Lord, honoring him with our wealth is an act of worship. Secondly, this is what it is. It's an act of trust. So first off, it's an act of worship. And secondly, it's an act of trust. Honoring Jesus um, is basically us, giving him the first and the best of our wealth is is literally an announcement to the world saying, I trust Jesus to supply all my needs I believe that he has I I believe that he is and I believe that he will and that's what it's that's what it's saying it's a statement for us Paul tells us in Philippians 419 he says my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus that wasn't just a well-written theologically correct statement from Paul like all those words are true and they're practical. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord is not somebody who is just high level, right? Do you know what that means? It means the Lord is not somebody that is so high that he's just like, Hey, you know what? As long as you, you know, as long as the big things are taken care of, I'm going to let you work out the details. Well, that's just not the God that we serve and who serves us, but he is the God of the details. Right. So what Paul is telling us in Philippians when he says every need is that there's nothing that goes unaccounted for by God. And we can trust in him for that, that he will supply every need. So honoring Jesus from your wealth makes a statement about what you believe about God. So every time we do anything like that, it's saying something about who we believe God is. Right. Do we believe God doesn't care about our needs? Well, none of you would probably willingly say that. You would say, of course, Ronnie. You know what I mean? You would say, yeah, I've, of course I believe he cares about my... Do we believe God is stingy with his wealth toward us? Oh, well, now, we're, now we want to think a little bit more about that, right? Do we believe God has any interest in our finances? Oh, well, maybe I've never really considered that. Maybe I've just kind of just thought, well, God's given me the money he's given me. I earn it. I I need to make good decisions with it. But you know, this one, I'm on my own here. Well, God cares about our finances. If he gives you your money, he also is invested with how you invest your money. Right. And here's the thing, right? God, we're told owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our wealth. Man, oh man, he doesn't need the wealth he gives us because it is his to begin with, right? What God wants is your heart to be free of the stranglehold that wealth can have over it. And wealth does that. Wealth is insidious. Money can be insidious. It can fill our minds. There is nobody here, or maybe you're a kid, and maybe, okay, I take that back. Let me back up a little bit here. Maybe if you're a kid, maybe you haven't given one thought to money over the last week but I would say anybody over the age of, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to say, I don't know. There's no way any of you haven't thought about money over the past two weeks. I mean, I'll tell you, I have, I mean, that card has been swiped so many times. We have family in, we're buying gifts, we're buying groceries. I mean, I just want to order a new card to like give my poor card a, a, you know, a break, retire my card. You know, I feel like if that, if that card was real, he'd be like, man, oh man, I need a raise. I need you to, you know, kind of give me a new role in your life because this has been work, brother. Um, I can't remember where I left off. I just got off on that ridiculous illustration. Um, But the Lord doesn't need our wealth. The Lord doesn't need our wealth. What he wants is your heart to want his fame to increase. And he gives us wealth for those ends. He wants you to use your wealth towards those ends. Because here's the thing. So we, what did we say the word honoring was to, was to, was to make, uh, make the Lord weighty in your eyes, right? To give the Lord weight. Um, the opposite of the word honoring is to make light of right? It's to make light of. So when we think of, of like comedy, right? We think of a comedian. What are they doing really? Well, they're, they're just making light of everything. They're taking serious things that pertain to life and they're kind of flattening them out and they're making light of things. They're, they're making fun of themselves. They're making fun of other people. They're making light of things. They're, they're not putting the weight that, we, that really life events deserve and, they make, and they, they make light of those events. And that's why it's funny to us. That's why it's funny, because we go, man, that's a serious thing that they just made really light of, and I can laugh about it somehow, and it, you know, it kind of brings some humor and, and, um, and lightness into my life. When we look to our wealth to increase our own status, merely. When we look to our wealth, our money, to increase our status, what we're doing in that, especially if there's a pattern of that, okay, so let, let's rein it in, let's be really clear about this. What we're doing consistently is we are making light of the Lord. We're making light of the Lord. So when we're not giving God our best and the first fruits of our labor, of our wealth, in a sense, we're making light of the Lord here is what the Proverbs are telling us. And what happens is, listen to this, it leads us towards over-investing in things that eventually crumble. Well, doesn't everything eventually crumble that I invest in? Yes. Uh, in, in, a, in a worldly, earthly sense, of course. Now, now again, to be clear, investing your money, it, it's good stewardship. So, again, I keep backing up. I keep qualifying this because I, I'm, I'm afraid that somebody's going to get the wrong idea here. But the question is, to what end? So, wisdom doesn't just spend, 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 spend. Wisdom doesn't just spend to increase our own status, our own posture, our own opportunities. But it asks, why am I spending the money that I'm spending? It's saying to what end? What is it that I'm looking to build and to establish, right? And that's sometimes what happens when we overinvest in things that eventually crumble, right? That's why giving to God from, from our wealth is, is a better way of reading this. Not just giving God to God with our wealth, but from our wealth, right? Because with our wealth means, well, I got this. I'm doing these things that are good. I'm doing good stewardship things. I'm paying my bills, paying the electric bill. Um, you know, taking my spouse out to dinner, you know, uh, supplying my, my kids with things that they need, all good things, right? But then what that can do then is just leave scraps left over for God. When we give to God from our wealth, it's getting into this idea of first fruits, which is giving God our first and our best. It's a better way for us to understand what stewardship is. It means that God becomes your priority. You begin to look at your investment in eternal kingdom minded things as being the most important investment you make because the Lord is deserving of it. I was, I was reading, um, about, uh, some of the most infamous vanity projects, um, that have been, that we've been able to like, kind of see over the last X number of years. And, um, some of these things are crazy. A vanity project is something that we do that we kind of want to build up our name with. It, it's typically if we have a lot of money or we don't have to have a lot of money, but it's typically something we want to do because um, we want something to, we want to make something that, that will kind of continue and carry on our name and our legacy. And it's something that, that, you know, the world can live without, but we do it, you know, to kind of increase our, our, uh, our name and our, and, our, and our legacy. A couple of vanity projects. Um, I read about was this, uh, this clock called the Clock of the Long Now. The Clock of the Long Now. I don't know. Um, but it's this crazy clock that was built that Jeff Bezos from Amazon has invested 40, wait for it, $42 million into this clock. And it's, it's sort of sitting on top of this mountain in his, like in his West Texas properties. And what this clock is going to do is it's going to keep perfect time for the next 10,000 years. So some, some kind of a time capsule, right? And so for Jeff Bezos, who, you know, 42 million for him is like, I don't know, a $20 bill for us or something like that, right? But he, he invested a lot of money into something that's going to be sitting on a mountain that he has no idea that it will still be there in 10,000 years time, keeping the time that he is hoping that it'll keep, right? That's called a vanity project, you know, or like Elon Musk who sent like his, uh, his, his, his roadster, one of his cars into orbit. Um, so that, you know, that, that thing is just going to continue to orbit around the sun and he's the first guy to have ever done it. And then I don't know, by the time we're living on Mars, you know, we'll be able to see that thing like orbiting around our planets and you just kind of go, okay, I mean, that's cool. Elon, how much did that cost you? Oh, only 90 million, right? Um, again, I don't know, $90 million for Elon is, what, a $10 bill for us? I mean, again, that's not the point. The point is, like, we see people doing things that cause us to step back and go, that's what you spent your money on. Like, like so you're, you're never going to see, at some point, Elon, you're never going to see that roadster again. It's like, hey, Bezos, at some point, you know, sooner than later, you, you have no idea what's going to happen to that, that clock. What Proverbs is telling us, what it's instructing us to do, is to invest our money in things that are timeless, things that are eternal, things that don't just crumble um, before or even beyond or after our, our own lifetime. And then the result is this. This is what the Proverbs tell us in verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The result is that the Lord will bless you. Proverbs mentions these material blessings in verse 10 and they're supposed to be incentives. Right? It says, if you do this, this will be the result. Of course, we have to clarify what we mean by the words blessing and result. This is one way I like the way, I love the way Paul talks about this in Philippians 4. He says, excuse me, I've learned in every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and and need. So with, with the things that, that Paul had been given, the things that had been withheld from him in terms of his ministry and his life, he said, what I've learned through that, the wisdom I've gained through that is, is contentment. I've learned contentment. The blessing that the Lord has given me through abundance and through need is, is this thing called contentment. And this is to say that the person who honors the Lord with their wealth, is going to grow in some spiritual things. He's going to grow in some spiritual contentment. He's going to to grow in what's called richness towards God, although his bank account may not be what everybody's bank account is. He's going to be growing in a different kind of richness, and he's going to be growing in this kind of contentment that Paul talks about. Paul says it again in 1 Timothy 6. He said, godliness with contentment, he said, it's great gain, For we have brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I mean, I'm just destroying Jeff Bezos right now, but the guy cannot take the clock with him. He just just can't take the clock with him, right? So to be blessed with contentment, here's the thing, too. it, It doesn't mean we lose any sense of drive and ambition. God gives us good drive and good ambition. Some of you guys are good at making money. Some of you guys are good at investing money. That's a good and a godly thing. It means that our ambitions are refitted to match the ambitions of Jesus. So when we read a verse like that, that says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine, we wanna understand it correctly because God does fill our barns. He does fill our vats. He does give us abundance. He does give us plenty, right? Ray Ortland made this comment, he said, God's capacity to give far exceeds our capacity to receive. So God is just a God that gives. He gives and he gives and he gives. And in fact, he gives to the point to where we can't even receive as much as he he gives us. In Luke 6, 38, we read this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So something happens with this blessing that God gives us when we use our wealth wisely and give God our first and give our best is that he, he blesses us. He blesses us with a particular kind of godly contentment like Paul talks about. And then he also does this. He also blesses others through the wealth that he gives us, right? The Lord provides you and he provides me with plenty so that we can help those who, ha- who experience greater poverty, than we do. Like I said earlier, when we read about our barns being filled and our vats being bursting, we immediately imagine what that wealth can do for us. We're immediately thinking of our, what, you know, whatever your version of your barn being filled. Yeah, some of you guys literally have barns. You know, some of you guys are thinking, no, I'm literally thinking of my barn being full. Um, Other us are thinking of, well, I'm thinking of my account being at an all-time high my checking account, or I'm thinking of my garage or my house or these, these things that I build up and that I accumulate. They're, they're, they're at a place where they're, they're, you know, they're, at, they're at their all-time high value. The investments I made are, are working. They're paying off. They're collecting for me. Um, but that's not allowing wisdom to put our wealth to its greatest use, right? In fact, Jesus had just a uh, just a terrifying parable about this in Luke 12. Let's, let's turn there real quick. Um, Luke 12, I want to read this. Back to Luke, if you'd moved on from it. But he tells this parable, and it's really scary because um, it, it picks up in verse 13, and uh, I'm trying to find it here, the parable of the rich fool, and he said, says, so someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And, and, and Jesus said to a man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? We're not going to break that down right now. But he, but he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. toward God. So on one hand you go, is it, was it wrong for the guy to like build bigger barns? For the sake of just spreading his own uh, influence and his own fame and his name and his money. Yes. Why? Because he didn't know that a day later his life was going to be taken from him. Just like we don't know that. Right? So what this shows us is that God gives us wealth for not just the good of us and he does give us wealth for the good of ourselves but he gives us wealth for the good of us. Of others. Uh, The old Puritan scholar, guy named Matthew Henry, he said this. He said, God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show, for giving away, not for hoarding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do good with. God gives us more so that we have more to give away to others. And so that's just something that we need to reckon and reconcile and wrestle with God with as we step into the new year. So let me finish with this. I want to talk about what happens when we don't practice wisdom by giving to the Lord from our wealth. And this is what happens is that we live, we live unguarded from the potential dangers that money and wealth can create in our hearts. So what are some of those dangers? Well, here's two. Number one is Worldliness. We, we sort of drift into worldliness, 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So a love of money is a pathway, the craving of money, this over-invested love and desire for money and wealth. It's a pathway that can lead to much pain. The other thing that can happen, the other danger we want to guard against is just godlessness. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one. He will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So those are some dangers that we, as we're Christians, as we're growing in wisdom, those are things that we want to be guarded against because we know that we have a tendency to drift into those things. And we don't want our money and our love of money and our fear of money to have that kind of an effect on us. And so the biggest motivator, the biggest motivator for us honoring God with the first fruits of our wealth is simply this, is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. This is where all wisdom in the Bible leads us to, the person of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, what does it say? Yet for your sake he became poor so that uh, you by his poverty might become rich. So what God is looking for through the wisdom of scripture is for us to have a richness of soul, right? And he might bless some of you with crazy amounts of money, And he might bless some of you with lesser amounts of money. Both of those things are a blessing. It's not what God gives you materially. It's what you're doing to manage that wealth from the abundance and generosity of a soul that is looking to give your first and your best to God. And that is why, and this is why I need you to hear me, this is why you don't need to walk away today burdened and under a cloud of condemnation. Why? Because... God is patient with you and your money. God is full of grace towards your money-loving heart. God is merciful toward you and your money-fixated mind. It is not too late for your thinking and your actions to be redeemed by Jesus, and it's a process. It's not too late. Jesus gave up everything so that you could have the everything that matters, right? Right? And so my encouragement to you is to put it to the test. Put it to the test this year. Open up your wealth to the Lord. Give him from your first fruits. Be generous toward him because of his generosity to you. It's over. It's above. It's beyond. Begin to see it that way. See what happens to your heart when it is freed from the grip of money and that money can have on you. It doesn't mean you don't have practical steps to take. We probably all do it means that you're doing them for the right reasons and you are making much of God in the process. You are you are keeping him weighty through it all. Because he is deserving and when you look back on 23, he is the one that has provided for you and taken care of you in the most beautiful and gracious of ways. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that we know what it means to be generous because of Jesus. We know what it means to give because of Jesus. Lord, we are instructed in the Proverbs here um, to give you our first and our best and to trust you, to trust you with our whole heart and to lean not on our understanding, to make good, wise decisions when it comes to stewarding our money, but to also be looking to how... Our wealth can be used for the blessing of others and for the furthering of your kingdom. So God, we, we're, all in, we're all messed up about this. Um, we all struggle with thinking too much about money, um, doing things that aren't helpful with our money. Um, we're, we're all in places like that. And so we just ask for your help. We ask for your mercy and your grace. We ask that this message today, these passages out of Proverbs, Lord, that your spirit would... Uh, change us through them, that you would convict us through them, that you would call us to your grace through them. And we thank you that it's possible. We thank you that even now, right now, as you look down at us, uh, you're smiling upon us. You're delighting in us. You are singing a song over us. Um, There's no condemnation in us who are found in Christ Jesus. Help us to remember that as we think through these things wisely and with gratitude, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.